So this morning, we are going to be talking about the moral argument for the existence of God. This is the, it, the case that we're building over time is a cumulative case for the existence of God. Last week, we dealt with the resurrection, so that was specifically, that was specific to Christianity. But the, the mountain of evidence that we deal with is a cumulative case over time. This particular argument was very impactful to C.S. Lewis. And, and uh, I've got a couple of C.S. Lewis quotes as we're going along in here. And, and as he was working through his atheism and dealing with, am I an atheist or is, is pantheism true? He was, he was not obviously persuaded by pantheism, but, but as he was working through his issues, he was thinking, well, it, doesn't, it seems more and more that atheism isn't true, but is pantheism true or is Christianity true? And this, this was one of the arguments that was, that was deeply impactful to him. And so we have this moral intuition about us. I'm sure that you all, it, just in your first-person private experiences, you all understand morality. And it seems like, well, why are we even talking about this? Because it's so obvious to everyone, isn't it? And actually, it is obvious to everyone. But the reason that we have to deal with it now is because what used to be common sense to everyone, because we, because we live in the world of a Judeo-Christian worldview, this is our heritage, this is where we, this is, this is kind of the air we breathe, but now, over time, with the introduction of postmodernism over the decades, that entire foundation has, has knowingly or unknowingly been ripped away. And so now we have to explain things and deal with things that we never had to before because it was just taken for granted that, that objective moral values and duties were true. We all experienced them. But now we have to, we, this is routine that we, if you get into these conversations, that we are always having to deal with the objection of where morality came from. Is it objective? Is it subjective? We're going to get into all of this. So I want to encourage all of you, this one is going to be as tough as it gets this morning. If you stick with me, I promise you none of the other sessions are going to be this difficult. And I'm not saying that this is going to be difficult, but it can be a bit of a challenge when the new ideas are are brought forth. And they're not new ideas, but they might be new ways of thinking about it. So if this is a bit challenging, stick with me. All the rest of the weeks are not going to be this challenging. And with saying that, I want to really implore you guys, ask questions. If you have questions, if there's something I covered that you said, whoa, 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 that was too fast, can you, can you please explain that a little bit more? You will be doing everyone else a favor if you ask the question, because if you have a question, I guarantee you others, others in here have a question. So please raise your hand and ask a question if you have one. Of course, at the end, at the end we'll make time for questions. And at the end, we're going to make time for dealing with objections as well. So I just, want to, I just want to implore you, ask questions, and don't feel shy about that. So what, is, what are these terms I'm talking about, objective morality and subjective morality? Oh, before I, before I get to that, I want to point out 
here are some resources. Um, I've, I've, I've drawn from some of these, some of these resources. These books, these are all books um, that, that are up here. These are not books on this subject, but they have chapters in them dealing with this subject that, that fleshes it out more than I can here. So I want to encourage you, if you're interested in, in, in further dealing with this, Mere Christianity, obviously, is, is a fabulous book. I cannot, I cannot recommend that book highly enough. It deals with, it, it, it starts from, you know, is there a God? And then it, eventually it gets to dealing with the particulars of Christianity. Stealing from God, that book, that book is about the fact that atheists need to start from a theistic worldview in order to make their case for anything in the first place. So there is, it, it, it's, it deals with, um, you know, scientific arguments, it deals with the, the problem of evil, it deals with morality, it deals with all sorts of things. And the fact, he points out, rightly so, that they have to adopt a theistic worldview. They don't acknowledge it, of course, but they have to adopt a theistic worldview in order to make their case for atheism. It's really, it's really well done. And it's one of those, just like this, what we're talking about today, it's one of those where if you haven't thought about it before and then sort of you're at the optometrist and he says, is this better? And it all comes into focus and you, and you think, Oh, wow, I, that's amazing. I never thought of that before. The Reason for God by Tim Keller is a fabulous book. Again, it's a general. He deals with all sorts of different things in every chapter. And God's Crime Scene, um, there's a guy named J. Warner Wallace who is a really outstanding apologist. He is a former cold case, cold case homicide detective for LAPD. And he was an atheist, and he, he eventually came to Christ because he used his, his detective skills to examine the evidence, and that's how he eventually came to Christ. So all of his books and all of his resources are, are, are from that angle. That's why it's called God's Crime Scene. He looks at, he looks at the universe and all of these things saying, what, what does the evidence point us toward? And it's very accessible. I really recommend it highly. He, he's a great guy. He's got lots of YouTube videos. Um, watch him. He's, he's entertaining and easy to understand. So, dealing with objective versus subjective morality. This graphic, I was looking for a suitable graphic that would give us a picture of what we're talking about, because we can intuitively understand it, but graphics can be helpful. Now, this doesn't have to do with morality. It says, the, the subjective one has to do with the subject, who, inside myself, because I think there's only one flower, there's only one flower. And in the same way, subjective morality is, the morality comes from within me, what I think is right, what I think is wrong. It it's, comes from within the subject. Whereas objective morality, this person says, there is only one flower, whether I think so or not. So objective morality comes from an object outside of yourself. Uh, is lying wrong whether I think it's wrong or not? Is murder wrong whether I, if, if no one thought murder was wrong, would murder still be wrong? That's objective morality, it's outside of you. So this is what, these are the terms that we're dealing with. And, and again, a lot of us might be thinking, this is so weird. Of course, 
Of course, morality is objective. It's, of course, it doesn't boil down to a personal preference. But this is, this is what we're dealing with today because people want to get rid of God. The, this is the price that you pay. And this is the world that we live in because how many of us have heard, well, it's, it's, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. I've even heard, I've even heard Christians on TV say, well, Jesus, Jesus is true for me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that it's true for you. And it's, uh, it's, stunning when you hear something like that because either either Jesus is the savior of the world or he's not he, he either he is the savior or he's not there's no well he he's the savior for me but somebody else can do something else it's true or it's not and so we live in this world of what's right for me might not be right for you but yet what we'll find is that's actually unlivable. And if you, if you go down the path of, of moral subjectivism or moral relativism, you'll really find that only sociopaths can live that kind of morality because ultimately in real life, it's unworkable. And it's funny because in our culture of, of this is true for me but not for you, aren't we also seeing that we are awash in moral declarations? Don't you see that on, on well, TV, if you, watch, if you watch the talking head shows or Twitter or, or social media, everyone is making these, these moral declarations, such as um, a few weeks ago, Representative Ilhan Omar called Donald Trump not human. He's not human. Why is he not human? Because he, he has a different worldview than she does. He has different values. He is, he is pushing different legislation. Now, we all know it's such a good thing, and it always ends up so well when we dehumanize one another, right? That works out well. Um, the border wall is evil, we hear this. We hear um, when, when all of those abortion laws were happening, I actually heard, heard uh, someone say that because there, there were both sides of abortion laws. There were these abortion laws that were making in various states, New York and Virginia and a spate of other states that were making abortion legal up to the point of birth. And then there were other states that were coming in and, and putting restrictions on abortion. I actually heard someone say that those laws that were making more restrictions on abortion, I heard those called evil. Now, again, I, I would, if I were a betting person, I would bet money that that person did not actually believe in objective morality. And if you question them, they would not be able to defend that position. But they're going to call something evil well, if there is no objective standard, there is no evil in the first place, which is what we'll get to, uh, which is what we'll get to as, we, as we flesh this out more and more. Um, what about this one that we've heard in the last couple of weeks? Speech is now speech is now violence and needs to be shut down. That is, that is a moral claim thick with morality. So, we, so in our society, we want it both ways. We want, I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to do what is right in my own eyes. 
And yet, we want to make these, these clear moral pronouncements that would apply to everyone. So which is it? What is it that's true? Well, C.S. Lewis, I do love him. He said, in Mere Christianity, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? That's a problem, isn't it? And he, as an atheist, he fully recognized that if there is no God, there's no standard. And, but yet, he had this moral intuition of this is unjust that is happening over here, and this is just. And of course, he, he uh, experienced World War I. Um, I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't come to Christ until he was 29-ish. And so, going through World War I, he was an atheist at that point. And he lost all of his friends in World War I. It was a devastating experience for him. So you can imagine, as a thinker, how is he dealing with this? Because he had to think World War I and all of that tragic loss of life was evil. And losing his friends was, it was a terrible tragedy. But what do you do with that when you're an atheist? And this is what we're, we're going to get into. So... What is the moral argument for, from, for the existence of God? We're going to go over that quickly, and then we're going to flesh out how this all uh, works. So the moral argument for the existence of God, this is called a syllogism. If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties, I didn't put that up there, objective moral values and duties do not exist. But objective moral values do exist, Therefore, God exists. Now, people will, will we, we accept this. We understand this to be true, but, but plenty of people will push back on this and say, no, 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 objective moral values don't exist. Or they might try to, they might try to smuggle in and say, well, objective moral values do exist, but you don't need a God for that. So there are all sorts of things that you will find as you engage people on this subject, but the point that I'm gonna be making this entire time is, what are the claims that people are making and do they hold up in reality? Do they hold up in, in what we experience? So here are the different worldviews that you are going to come across and deal with. Theism. Theism is, uh, Christianity is a theistic religion, Judaism, Islam. They're the three main theistic world religions. A theistic world religion is, or a theistic worldview is one that believes in a God who is personal. So a theistic worldview would, would believe in objective morality. Why? Because God is the object. He is where the morality comes from. He is the standard of morality, therefore it is from him that we get our morality. We don't pick and choose, we don't make it up as we go along. Pantheism, uh, uh, Hindus are pantheistic, they believe that all is God and, and that we are, we are merely uh, basically in the mind of God and that all is an illusion. Therefore, morality also is an illusion. Good and evil is an illusion. Right and wrong is an illusion. You are an illusion. My question is, 
Does that make any sense to anyone? I'm, I'm, we're going to get into Hinduism in a couple of weeks. We're, I'm just going to cover with you what, what, the, uh, what the Hindu worldview is. But when you see something that you know is evil, does it make any sort of sense to you to say, well, that's just an illusion. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time Actually, this is all the time we're spending, and we're moving on to atheism. So atheism is by necessity, by necessity, a subjective, subjective uh, moral worldview. Now, again, because of the world that we live in, we live in God's world, therefore we have these moral intuitions, and this becomes really uncomfortable for an atheist. I'm going to play a video in a little bit, a short clip, that you're going to see between, it's a, it's a dialogue between a theist and an atheist, and you're going to see that discomfort, how the atheist consistently wants to make these moral proclamations. This is wrong. This is evil. And the theist will come back and say, well, how is it on your worldview that you can say this is evil when there's no, there's no standard? So uh, when you hear the terms moral subjectivism or moral relativism, it's relative to the subject, those two mean the same thing. So here's how this, it, 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 what, here is how the most, probably the most famous atheist in the world right now, Richard Dawkins, I have a couple quotes from him in here because he is so prominent in the world today representing atheists. He, being an atheist, he must be a moral subjectivist. However, like basically all atheists, he smuggles in, he tries to smuggle in objective morality. In his famous book, The God Delusion, this is a, a really famous statement that he makes. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, do you hear that? Unjust, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Wow, that sounded very subjective, didn't it? That sounded like, huh, well, you know, I, that's my personal preference that I don't like this and you're welcome to, to like what you like. No, that sounds very pronounced, very, this is wrong, your God is wrong, your God is bad, your God is racist, infanticidal, you know, on and on and on it goes. So here's what we're gonna consistently see this. Now, I was at the store uh, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I, this is, I, I see these things and, and, and I think, oh, this is going to be great for this illustration. So I took this picture of this car. Now, notice, you can, you can see really the worldview. You can kind of get a sense of the worldview based on the various bumper stickers. You know, there's impeach Trump, love Trump's hate. This is a picture of Donald Trump and it says nope on it. This actually... Um, it says, she persisted, so that's a pro-Hillary bumper sticker, and an ACLU bumper sticker. Um, but here's the one that I want to, since we, we get the idea here, this one. 
This one, it, you can't read it, but right down here it says AmericanHumanists.org. So it says, and there's actually, it's cut off, but there's another one, exact same one right over here on the, on the backside of his bumper sticker that says, I believe in good. Now, American humanists, he, this person clearly does not believe in God because humanists, the humanist society is, you know, they, they believe they are an atheist society and they believe in that humans are, you know, they, they base all of their morality on human rights and, and human flourishing, et cetera, et cetera. It's all humanistic. So there's no God involved. And you can see people will say, I believe in God. Well, they're saying, I believe in good because guess what? There is no God. But here's the thing. If there's no God, what does good even mean? This is where I, you know, I think about these questions. If, if this person was coming out of the store, I actually would have, I, I would have, you know, nicely said to them, can you, can you help me out here? Can you tell me, what do you mean by good? And it would have been very friendly. Now, they might, have, they might have felt put on the spot because guaranteed they haven't thought about this before. But I would say, so what do you mean by good? And they would say, well, you know, then they would give me examples of good. They would say, you know, rescuing a kitty out of a tree, uh, you know, helping someone in need, et cetera. I'd say, I'd say, yeah, but those are examples of good, maybe. But, but what is it that makes that thing good? And, you know, Guaranteed, they, they wouldn't know. But it's, it's a curious thing to me. What, what, what do they mean by good? If there is no God, it really, it all just, you'll see it breaks down to a personal preference. And the point again is we know our moral intuition. We know that there is, we know that there is a right. We know that there is a wrong. Is it really just a personal preference? How can that be? So here, here are the ramifications. What is at stake if we want to say morality is merely subjective? You cannot say anything is actually wrong. You cannot look at the Nazis and what they did. Or you cannot look at Stalin and starving seven million Ukrainians in one year to death on purpose and say that is evil. You can say, I don't like that. You can say, that makes me feel uncomfortable. You can say, well, that's not uh, good for human flourishing. You can say, uh, that doesn't advance Darwinian evolutions getting your genes into the next generation, so we shouldn't do that. That's all you can say. You can't say that thing is evil because if there is no objective standard, nothing is evil and nothing is good. It, there's, there's nothing you can, you know, you can uh, give charity to someone. You can, you can selflessly rescue someone at your own peril. That's not good because there is no good and there's no evil. This is the ramifications of this, but is this livable? Can anyone live this? Can anyone, we, we know the experience that we have inside, and is, can you every single day say, oh, well, but that's just, that's just my evolution, because 
because this, this is what this is what it has been reduced to. People saying our morality comes from evolution. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, a friend I was talking to, he said, evolution has tricked us into believing all of this. So the questions, the questions, here are some good questions that I want you to keep in mind as we're dealing with all of this. And actually, these are good questions to ask when you're dealing with your atheist friends and if they've thought about this, which most people haven't thought about this, which is why this is a challenge. What makes something moral? Where does morality come from? Where? Now, they'll, they'll basically do the broad brush of evolution. They'll say it comes from evolution, but we're going to deal with that in just a second. Why does a moral law exist at all? Why? How does that make any sense? And who has the authority to establish moral values and duties, and who has the authority to oblige us to follow them? Because we, don't we have that sense of obligation? We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't embezzle from our company. We, we shouldn't leave work for someone else to do when, when really we should do it. And here's the thing, obligations are between persons. We feel obliged, but why is there an obligation at all? And obligations are between persons. Do I have an obligation to the earth? No, I don't. I have an obligation to you, and I have an obligation to my granddaughter to not ruin the earth because she's going to be living in it. And if the Lord tarries her children and their children and their children, I have an obligation to persons to not ruin the earth. I don't have an obligation to the earth. So here's the question. And here's what we're going to be spending most of the rest of our time on. Can evolution explain morality? Because this is the primary objective you're going to get over and over and over. This is really common. Because, again, people want to get rid of God. God has to go away, so we have to explain where morality came from. But here's the problem. Morality and biology are in two different categories. Evolution is a material biological process, right? If, let's just accept evolution and let's accept macroevolution, you know, change over time or, or descent with modification because that's what they're going to say. Evolution did this. But evolution is a material. What that means is what we see, touch, taste, smell. It's, it's only the physical. That's what we're talking about. It's a material biological process. But morality is immaterial. It's not... It, it, there is no space to morality. You don't get justice from molecules. You don't get right and wrong from molecules. How is it that you can get this, this sense of right and wrong from just a, a purely materialistic process? Moral laws are prescriptive. They tell you what you ought to do, but evolution is descriptive. Biology is descriptive. It tells you what does happen. It doesn't tell you what you ought to do. It tells you what does happen. These are in two different categories. And so it's impossible that a materialistic process 
can give you obligations. And, it, and furthermore, it has no authority to tell you what to do. If, if evolution occurs, there is nothing in the process that tells you or has the authority to tell you what you ought to do. You ought not lie. You ought not cheat. Says who? There, if we evolve, there's nothing in there that says that. Furthermore, what is evolution? Evolution is the survival of the fittest, isn't it? But how in any worldview is survival a moral right? How, how, how is it a moral right just surviving? It, that is what it is, survival of the fittest, but it's not, there's nothing moral about that, it's just surviving. There is no good or purpose to evolution. Biology tells us what does survive, not what ought to survive. And furthermore, why humans? Why is it that humans ought to survive as opposed to anything else? And which humans? If, if, if we arbitrarily decide, oh, well, humans, because we're humans and we want to say that we ought to survive, which humans? Us or the Nazis? Do you see how this... This just breaks down and there's no, there's no real way around it. And furthermore, physical survival isn't even the highest moral virtue. If we're going to attribute virtues to this physical survival, just surviving, just getting your genes into the next generation, isn't the highest virtue. Sacrificing yourself for someone else is the highest virtue. And it seems to me that that's what Jesus claimed and then did for us. Another point that needs to be made that is really important is that evolution is a process of change, right? I mean, that's, that's how it is. It's, it's change over time. If evolution is a process of change, that means that morals, by definition, would change. There cannot be an objective moral standard under evolution because it is a process of change. What happens if someday rape and murder are considered good? Now, of course, that seems unfathomable right now, and I'm not suggesting that it ever would, but if evolution is our guide to morality, then it being a process of change Morals change over time, and let's look at let's look at just uh, the issue of slavery. So, slavery, when it started in our country, it was it was something that was tolerated, but it wasn't something that was in the beginning that was lauded. That was, hey, this is a fantastic thing. It was something that. It is what it is, let's not really talk about it, but you're not taking it away from us in the South, but it is what it is. Over time, as you got closer and closer to the war between the states, it turned into a moral good. The South was actively saying, slavery is a moral good. It's good for everyone involved. And they were actually saying this. It had changed over time. Now look at today. Today we, uh, we all, well actually in this part of the world, slavery is still, is still 
very active in many parts of the world still. But in, in the West, we have repudiated slavery and said that is evil. But look at the change that has happened over time. So who's right? If there is no standard, then at some point down the road, if it changes again, is that right? And then if it changes again, is that right? What is, what is it that's right? Evolution, if evolution is where we get our morality from, then that is what we have to go by. It changes over time. The assertion, now what about the social contract theory? Evolution gives us a social contract because if we go around killing ourselves or killing each other, you know, evolution being survival of the fittest, I, I can, if, well, I'm a woman, so I'm not gonna be overpowering many people, but strong men can come around and they can, they can take over cities and it's the survival of the fittest and I'm the strongest, so I'm gonna come and take, take over and impose this social contract. But we, we, so we say, well, let's just have this social contract so that we don't, so that we don't kill each other because that's, that's not good for humanity if we're all killing each other and doing survival of the fittest. But this is not an adequate grounding for morality to say we just have, evolution has given us this social contract because what if someone violates the contract? What if, what if we as a society, we agree on this social contract, but then someone comes along and violates it? Are they immoral for violating this social contract that evolution prescribes to us? Well, if you're going to say that person is immoral, you're going to have to appeal to a higher standard to say that person is immoral for violating this social contract that we all sort of agreed upon right now, just like what we did with the Nazis. They had their social contract that they did amongst themselves, and we said, that is wrong. You, and, and so we appealed to a higher standard outside of their social contract. So if they're going to say evolution gives us a social contract, well, when you violate that, you actually have to appeal to a standard outside of that. And the point is, if God does not exist, then objective moral rights don't exist either. Don't we also see this language of rights all over our society. Healthcare is a human right. Education is a human right. This is a human right, that's a human right. But where do human rights come from? If there is no objective standard for where human rights come from, then it's, again, it's completely arbitrary. And if human rights come from government or some other, again, social contract, then guess who can take those human rights away? This is a problem if we're going to say, if we're just going to arbitrarily declare human rights. So the same human rights that they want to assert, if there is no God, then there cannot be human rights unless they are completely arbitrary. And if you give a human right, you can also take away a human right. And that's, that is a problem. So what it boils down to is that a consistent atheist cannot believe that anyone has ever changed the world for good. That's a shocking statement, but when it all is a personal preference, it all boils down to personal preference. Rescuing the Jews from the ovens 
is not qualitatively better than murdering them. Now, am I, hear me, atheists can be very good people and are good people. I've met atheists that are wonderful, wonderful people. So in no way, no way am I saying atheists are bad people. All I'm saying is, this is the logical outworking of that worldview. Atheists don't live according to that because it's unlivable. But it is, you can't say that something is better or worse because it's entirely arbitrary. I have a video that's a couple minutes long that must be shown um, because it is just so, it's so fantastic. So, oh, wait a second. I want to uh, preface. This is, this is a video, um, a couple minutes long, between Dr. William Lane Craig, who is a Christian philosopher and apologist, and Dr. Bernard Lycan, he is an atheist physicist. So they're just having this brief little interaction of, of uh, where morality comes from. And you'll see the problem that the atheist gets into very quickly. Now that's an interesting value judgment that you're making. And I'd like to know, on an atheistic, naturalistic worldview, on what basis can you make that value judgment between these two separate societies and cultures? Uh, why, why do I think the society is better that uh, doesn't have slaves? Is yes, why is our set of values which abhor slavery superior to uh, any other cultures which uh, uh, adheres to slavery? Why characterize this as a moral improvement rather than just a difference? Well, it, it certainly is a difference, and the reason I think it's a moral improvement is that uh, all of us have things to offer, uh, and slavery denies large people, large numbers of people, the chance to uh, achieve uh, everything that they have to offer to us. And and I happen to think we we uh, we live we live in a pluralistic society. And the essence of our society is that. Everyone gets a chance to contribute. Everyone gets the chance yeah. to throw but out their ideas. that wasn't the essence and, of ancient Hebrew in, uh, society, right? I mean, uh, oh, no. So why are you That's imposing right. our values on them? Oh, I, I'm not criticizing them for having slaves. Uh, uh, that's their society, and that, that was where, you know, but the, the point I'm making is that there's no, there's no place where it's written in stone. Here are, here are the moral values by which we should all live for all time. So you can't really condemn slavery on an atheistic, naturalistic worldview, can you? That's right. No, I do. But I but do. I think slavery is a wrong. I think it's a bad thing. But I isn't that it. just an expression of your own socio-cultural situation that you were uh, born right. in? This? That's right. So it doesn't That's... have any objective sort of validity. Uh, it, no, it comes from our society. That No, that's not the end. Objective values and relative ones. It's just a you, fact. You don't think that you can tell that we ought to love a child rather than torture and sexually abuse a child? Uh, I think that's a good idea to, to, to love a child. I think it's a good idea. It arises from our biological heritage. It's uh, natural and normal for us. Uh, but one and, isn't morally different oh, no. from the other? No, I, I, I think it's that, that they're morally different. It's, it's bad to, to inflict harm. That's why I criticize God in the book of Job. Is he's, he has inflicted uh, unmerited, undeserved suffering on totally innocent people. And you think and it that's wrong of God? I, I think that's wrong of God. On what basis do you make that value judgment? I think it's bad to inflict suffering and, and harm on other people. Why? 
What do, you, what do you mean, why? Why is that wrong on a naturalistic worldview? The, the Nazis thought it was all right to do that to so They to did. Jews. They did, and that's because morals are created by societies. And, and, uh, and that society created the, the, a system that made those people see with such hatred. But honestly, Dr. Lichen, this isn't a debating tactic or trick. This is a fundamental philosophical question. Right. On the one hand, you want to make value judgments like God was wrong to do this right. to Job. Right. Uh, slavery was abhorrent. We have improved morally over this other culture. Right. The Nazis were wrong. Right. And yet on the other hand, out of the other side of your mouth, you're affirming moral relativism. You right. have no transcendent anchor for these values and hence you're lost in a sea of sociocultural relativism. You were, you were correct in everything you said till you said I was lost. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we. That's we, why we invited you. I, I am. <laughs> you guys see the problem there? I, I, every time I watch that video, I just, I, I have so much fun with that. It, you see the tension that he lives in. That, that this man lives in. He understands these things are wrong. He even wants to criticize God. Earlier in the video, he's criticizing God in the book of Job for how, his treatment of Job. And, and he, he allowed all this suffering to be inflicted on this innocent person. But he admits, at least he admits that there's no, there's no grounding for that. So you will, if you haven't run into this so far, you will run into that, and this, this is the problem. And here's, we're going to go back to our friend Richard Dawkins here as we're, as we're trying to wrap up quickly. Dawkins, this is what it boils down to. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Is this, is this true? And what happens if it is? There's another quote I don't have up here on the screen, but there's a philosopher and an ethicist, actually. He's, he's, he's dead now. He died 16 years ago, I think. His name is, is James Rachels, and he authored a book called Created from Animals. And he's speaking about um, mentally disabled people. And he says, what are we to say about them? The natural conclusion, according to the doctrine we are considering, which in his case was Darwinism, is would that be that their status is of mere animals? And perhaps we should go on to conclude that they may be used as non-human animals are used, perhaps as laboratory subjects or as food. Now, is this where we're going to go? I'm, I'm not suggesting that it is. What I am suggesting is this is the logical conclusion of the worldview. And there are some people, Sam Harris, for example, he, he's an atheist, but he wants to claim objective moral values and he wants to say that, that, they, that we have objective moral values and they are what lead to human flourishing. But again, the question is according to whom? And who decides what is flourishing? And what obligates us 
to agree to that? What obligates us to follow that? There, if there is no standard, you can say all of this that you want, uh, our standards are this, our standards are that, but that's just him espousing his opinion again, because there's no standard. But yet we do feel obligated. We are really running out of time, so I just want to make one quick point on one other objection. And people, some people will say culture can explain morality. Quick sentence on this. The problem with this is that if culture explains morality, what happens again when you say there's this thing wrong with our culture, we should improve it, such as Martin Luther King, would Martin Luther King then by definition be wrong or immoral because he is violating what his culture has agreed to? This is the problem with culturally driven morality and, and it too is unlivable and it's unsustainable because by definition, any cultural reformer is wrong, is immoral. So, wow, we have really run out of time. I just wanna put these up here really fast. Um, and, then, and then open it up for a few minutes for questions. Um, I'm really impressed that you guys didn't raise your hands for questions because you guys are much further along than I, than I had anticipated, and I am impressed. Uh, first objection, you don't need God to be moral. Uh, no, I never claim that, and we never claim that because someone can be moral. How? Because they have this intuitive sense of what's right and wrong. We all do. It's inescapable. Morality is agreed upon by society. We already covered that, um, so I'm not going to cover it here again. The Euthyphro dilemma is an ancient Greek dilemma that is still in, it's still in play today. People will still claim it today. It will say either something is good because God wills it to be good or God wills something to be good because it is good. This is, they're saying, which one is it? And both are a problem because if something good is good because God wills it to be good, that's arbitrary. And that's, God could at some point say murder is good and then make that good. Or is, is the thing, is, does, is the thing good, sorry, I got mixed up, is God willing something to be good because it is good, which means that standard would be even outside of God. But neither, neither of these problems is true. A thing is good because God is good, and goodness flows from the character of God. God doesn't will something to be good, and God doesn't observe that something is good and declare it to be good. It is good because God is good, and it comes from his character. Um, there's one thing that people will say frequently, that morality varies from culture to culture, so it's clearly not objective. But again, our friend C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, think of a country where people were admired for running away in battle, or where a man felt proud of double-crossing people who had been kind to him. You might just as well try to imagine a country where two and two made five. Men have differed as regards to what people you ought to be unselfish to, whether it's your own family or your fellow countrymen or to everyone, but they have always agreed that you ought not put yourself first. Selfishness has never been admired. Men have differed as to whether you should have one wife or four, but they have always agreed that you must not have simply any woman that you liked. So some things differ from culture to culture we see, 
But there, are, there is a basis and a bedrock, fundamental principles that we all as humans recognize to be true. Uh, and morality evolved, well, we, we covered that quite a lot. So the moral argument for the existence of God is, again, if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. So I hope you can see that, that it is the case that objective morals do exist. And when you run up against people who want to make all these wacky claims, that you can see it, not only is it not livable, but it's not logical, and it, it falls down and collapses in on itself. So that was a lot. I really recognize that, and uh, we have no time for questions, but I did want to ask if anyone has questions, and I'm, and I'm happy to, to take a couple questions. Otherwise, you're more than welcome to come up afterwards and talk. Mm. Bob's given me the whole. So we need, to, we need to wrap it up. Definitely come up. And you guys are real troopers. I am so proud of all of you for, for hanging in there. It's all cake from here. So let's pray and let's get ready. Father, thank you for, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for, for giving us the ability to comprehend such weighty and challenging and difficult matters. I ask that, that um, you would prepare our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth, and I ask also that you would bring about divine appointments that we can have interactions with people and ask them questions when they make these kind of statements, and that, uh, and that you would solidify this understanding more and more in us so that we can be good ambassadors for your name. In Jesus' name, amen.